Welcome to the Elevate the Edge podcast. I'm Maribel Lopez of Lopez Research, and I'm joined with my co-host Joe Peterson of Clarify 360. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. Elevate the Edge is published bi-weekly. The podcast focuses on helping companies understand what edge computing is, how the market will evolve, and what you need to know to build successful edge computing strategies. Show notes and subscription links can be found at elevatetheedge.com slash episodes. We hope you'll enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Elevate the Edge podcast. I'm Maribel Lopez, the founder and principal analyst at Lopez Research, and I'm joined here today with my co-host, Joe Peterson, who is the VP of Cloud and Security Services at Clarify360. Hi, guys. Uh, we've both been speaking with a lot of companies about what the edge is, how to benefit the edge, try to demystify the edge maybe. And in today's episode, we're going to focus on data analytics. And to do this, we're interviewing Kirk Bourne, which I'm really excited about. Uh, Kirk is an accomplished astronomer, professor, and data scientist. Uh, Kirk is currently the chief science officer at Data Prime Inc. And I've had the pleasure of knowing him for some time. So welcome to the program, Kirk. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Maribel. Hello, Joe. Hello. Kirk, can you take a moment and briefly describe what Data Prime does and what you do there? Well, uh, it's a startup. <laughs> so the first thing to say is that there's a lot of things we're just trying to get going. And primarily, it's a data platform for uh, processing different types of information from input to output. So what is that type of information? Well, the, our first focus is on talent acquisition for businesses. So identifying uh, job candidates who are in the market and job opportunities, which are in businesses and, and doing sort of the match between those two things. So we're not out there hiring people, but we're trying to help companies find the right talent. So it's, it's really sort of, if you want to think of a match.com sort of dating service, it's, 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 it's providing the right match of a job description to the right talent person. And so we're, we're building up a community of, of many different data scientists, enough data scientists and data professionals and I say data professionals, I should say, anyone working in the data field, whether database engineers or anything, uh, should upload their profile. Because even if you're not in the job market today, someday you will be. And someday that perfect job will come along that you can be uh, maybe interested in. And so uh, even if you're not interested right now or pl- applying for jobs right now, get, get in there. Uh, so once we have that platform to process inputs to outputs, we do all kinds of other things. We're helping companies with logistics and, and life sciences, supply chain. Uh, all, a variety of, of different things, portfolio management, any, any place where AI and machine learning can help uh, companies handle all this information they're getting and produce decisions and outputs from all of that information. And so that's what Data Prime does. It's about basically accelerating uh, uses of data in organizations and in, pers- in people's careers uh, using AI. Awesome. So let's just jump into edge computing. As we know, edge computing is a distributed computing model. Um, It brings data storage and analytics closer to the sources of data. Uh, Edge, when we're talking to customers, we talk about organizations getting better response times, uh, decreased network latency, reduced bandwidth costs, and even enhanced security. So Kirk, I thought maybe since you're spending so much time over the course of the years in the data ecosystem, you could give us an example of how pushing more analytics capabilities closer to the edge and where the data is generated can allow an organization to achieve greater responsiveness and efficiency. Yeah, I think pretty much uh, a a lot of applications nowadays are really dynamic applications. Uh, I I spent most of my career doing astrophysics. I'm I'm not so active in astrophysics anymore. Uh, We collected data from NASA satellites. I worked at NASA for 20 years. 
And most of that was sort of static processing, right? The data comes from the satellite, and then the scientist looks at it and plays with it and analyzes it over a period of weeks, months, or years even. And so it's, 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 there's not a whole lot of dynamic activity going on in the sense of immediate response from the, what's in the data stream. That's completely changed now because most companies need to respond rapidly. And, I, and I, I usually put this in a phrase I call moving business at the speed of data. I mean, I mean, I've heard companies in the past, not recently, but in past years, people would say things like, oh, we do data analytics at the speed of business. And I say, that's pretty slow, actually, because data is moving pretty fast. You want, you want your business to, to keep up with the speed of data, not the other way around. And so, so, so everything should be, in some sense, at the edge. That, that's what this dynamic processing is about. As the data is collected, you want to make a decision, take an action. But not everything needs to be that way. There, there, obviously, there's a lot of sort of post-processing that goes on, for example, building customer segmentation, building marketing campaigns. There's an example where it doesn't have to be dynamic. But a recommender engine should be dynamic because the moment the per, a person is checking out of an e-commerce store, uh, you can't wait for like an hour or two hours to figure out what kind of product to recommend to them. Right? You want that recommendation right there at that moment. If you think about virtual reality and our augmented reality experiences, it's in the moment, right? What's happened, how you're interacting in that environment needs to be responsive at that instant. Uh, think about uh, like, like uh, autonomous vehicles, instant response, right? You don't, you don't want to send data back from the car's camera and 15, 20 minutes later say, oh, yeah, there's a child in front of your car. You should put the brakes on. Well, you know, 20 minutes later, that's not a – you can't have that happen. And so there's all kinds of things like that, like cybersecurity. I mean, I could just go on and on. I've given an entire hour-long talks on this topic. But cybersecurity is another example. When, uh, so when someone's logging into your network and, and, oh, my gosh, during the pandemic era with everybody working from home, businesses are very concerned about who's logging into their network because now it's like everybody's logging into the network. But who are these people logging into the network? That's everybody. But is it the right person or the wrong person? So basically doing uh, identification of people, not just by passwords, but also by sort of biometric uh, behavior patterns of how someone accesses the network. Because someone could have stolen a password and then starts doing things that that particular person, that particular user account would normally not do. And so behavior analytics at the point of the data collection is happening both in cybersecurity and in marketing and in healthcare and all kinds of places. So I could go on and on for hours on this, but but I think that the, the challenge is p- businesses really do need to move at the speed of their data and that analytics at the edge is gonna help them get there. That's a great response, Kirk. Um, you know, I'm curious about storage as it relates to edge. So while much of the data that's collected at the edge is fleeting in its usefulness, some of it is gonna require storage. and When you're dealing with those surging demands of real-time data apps and AI-driven workloads, the challenges inherent to cloud data storage make edge and on-premise solutions sometimes more attractive, right? Whether that be financially or or, or however other ways. Are you, so the question is, are you expecting to see a movement away from centralized storage to more distributed model that results in smaller localized data centers? I think it's going to be a, a, a hybrid solution. I don't think there's a time we're going to get away from having centralized storage because there's a lot of things you do need to stir, store for the long term. If I go back to sort of my drive, uh, autonomous vehicle example, right? So, so I don't need to store every single image that comes across the camera because it's only immediately useful in that moment. Mm-hmm. But there might be other things in that image that are that are worth saving. And so, the computer vision, which is op- which is the the machine learning that's operating in those uh, vehicles, you know, the 
at the, the local edge computing, so to speak, uh, can identify other things in the scene. Okay, so so maybe there's some road construction, or or maybe a certain time of day there's there's more uh, children playing, or or something of this sort. And that's the kind of thing that would be useful to store back in the cloud, so that if someone's planning a trip or an autonomous vehicle is entering into an environment where it's known that such and such a thing is happening, that it can be prepared for that. So there's certain things uh, that can be done in the moment. Other things that you need to save save for 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 later. Another example is like health insurance or health, not necessarily insurance, but of course health insurance, but 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 health Fitbits and wearable devices, health devices. Okay, they're, they're, those are edge devices, right? So so in, in the moment, when if you're if you're wearing a heart monitor and you're out jogging, that gives you immediate feedback on whether to slow down or speed up or like that. Mm-hmm. But that but some of that data can be fed back uh, to uh, a health a data center, right? That, that can maybe d- determine how is your health going? What kind of recommendations to make to you and, and diagnostics and things like that. And, and also even we see that in the, even in vehicles, right? So, so uh, insurance companies, automobile insurance companies have these uh, telematics. Okay. They, they actually have these sensors in the car that sort of measure how smoothly you're driving. Okay. So with your, if you suddenly accelerate or suddenly brake, I mean, that's, that's, that's a, a very dim- dramatic change in the velocity of the car. That's, I learned that in physics. That's called acceleration or deceleration. And so that's measured and it determines uh, in some sense uh, your, your insurance rates. So some of that information is needed in the moment. Some of that can be used downstream at a, at a data center. And some of it's sort of in between. I mean, there's there's things that, that having sort of the local data center, if you will, like you were saying, you have, you have these distributed smaller centers where some of the stuff is more important in sort of the local environment. Some of it's been needed in this instant and some is needed sort of in the broader mm-hmm. picture. So, so you end up with this sort of continuum of, of storage uh, and th- things that require pretty much close to zero latency. That's really the edge device things that require, you know, not so much latency and things that, that can really be processed much later. If you're just sort of analyzing, you know, what kind of insurance premium to charge someone and for the next six months, well, you can look back, you know, okay. So you, you make the decision every six months as to how to adjust someone's st- uh, driving insurance based upon their driving patterns over the previous six months. So, so you obviously are not making that decision instantaneously. So there's, there, I, I think all these solutions are going to happen at one place or another. And, and the real challenge to business is to figure out how, how to do that. You know, make the strategic, I call it, I basically call it observability strategy. I have a yeah. phrase for that. Observability, I can't even say it now. <laughs> observability stra- strategy. Uh, so when I talk about observability, it's really a hot topic in the last couple of years. People say, isn't that just monitoring? Aren't you just monitoring things? And I say, no, uh, monitoring is what you do. Observability is why you do. It's a strategy. It's a, it's a strategic decision. We're going to monitor this with this frequency, with this latency, for this particular business purpose, with these particular outcomes that we expect. And so that's a strategic decision that you're making about where and when and how to, to, to deploy these sensors and to do those edge uh, monitoring uh, devices. And so, so business have to have to have to have these strategic discussions amongst themselves to figure out wh- where and when we need the things, what's the latency, and so forth. So it's it's a lot of business decision going on here. But the good news is there's going to be tremendous value brought to businesses once they just do this in a very agile way, as opposed to saying, "Oh, let's put everything in the cloud and just see what happens." Okay, that's that's not a good solution. If if you if you can 
find places where you can reduce latency on things and get immediate decision, immediate business action, that's going to improve your productivity as a business and so forth. So, so if you want a competitive edge at, in AI as a business, you're going to have to like look at this whole continuum and see where the different functions and business units are going to fit into those different parts of that continuum. That's such a great answer. And I mean, I always tell people that, you know, cloud is not a destination, it's a journey. And you're just sort of fortifying that because that footprint is changing, right? And how we look at it and what the business outcome, expected business outcome is, is absolutely changing. I I read somewhere the other day that up to 30% of um, infrastructure is now cloud. 30%, so imagine that from a budgetary perspective, 30% of an IT budget in some instances is cloud. So we better figure out kind of, you know, what we want to do and it can't be amorphous anymore. And just to riff on that, I mean, the other thing is cloud is going everywhere as well. I mean, cloud used to be the centralized cloud model. Now we've, we're starting to push cloud closer and closer to the edge. So even the definition of cloud and cloud spend, I think, is going to have to change a little bit because it's expanding so much. It's, yeah, it's really hard. It's like, like I said, this, this continuum is, is sort of blurring the lines between all kinds of things. And again, you just have to know where to plug in at the right place within that continuum. So, so if you need something dynamic happening right now, uh, it's probably less. It, maybe it's on the chip. I mean, there's actually there are actually chips now, you know, processor chips like neuromorphic processors, right? I mean, they actually do neural network processing on the on the chip itself, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, so this might be an example of a telematic or a biometric signature type of thing. So, if I'm logging mm-hmm. into a computer, the, how I type the on my keyboard is, is a signature of me, right? So in, in that moment, right then and there, I can determine, is this really Kirk Bourne typing on this keyboard or someone else? And so so some of that stuff is right there in the processor. And, and again, that, that kind of stuff doesn't need to be stored in the cloud anywhere. It just, it's just needed in that moment to make that decision at that instant. The ultimate edge. Now, Joe, I know that you had another, uh, really seriously, the body is the ultimate edge. <laughs> so it's kind of scary in a way. Joe, I know that you had some thoughts around, you know, the right time, the right place that you thought Kirk might have some interesting insight on. Oh, yeah. So, you know, everything that, you know, my question goes along with everything that you were saying about retrieving data at the right time because it can be expensive and troublesome for firms, for firms sort of navigating this complex web of storage architectures. And I was wondering, do you have a thought around how HDD will play a role at the edge resulting from an overall shift to SSD technologies that maybe better meets the demands of application specific workloads? Uh, I haven't really thought too hard about the, about those distinctions. I mean, certainly the SSD is going to be faster access to storage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of these cases, that's what you're going to need in those truly edge uh, necessary types of applications. Uh, HDD, I mean, again, that's, I'm not going to be able to speak smartly about the distinctions or other, other than the, the, the latency is certainly better for the SSD. SSD. So uh, I guess I don't have a really good answer there, but but I, I again, I, I don't think any such technology, you know, anywhere from cloud uh, through all the infrastructure that we just talked about, anything is going to be obsolete. They're all going to have their purposes, 
Yeah. And maybe, and maybe the, the, the sort of the shift of emphasis is going to go from one to the other. Uh, but I don't think that anything is going to actually going to go away. I mean, I mean, I just think back to my days at NASA. That was quite a few years ago. Uh, you know, we collected data from the satellites and stored them in these big storage archive facilities. That still happens. All right. Yeah. The, the right. Data, the, I mean, the thing about astronomy and, and climate science, <laughs> there's, there's two things that are very special about those things. It's, I'm sure it's special in a lot of other industries too. But, but you 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 only get that. It only happens once, right? The, if, if right, if, if if that hurricane, hurricane, I just called Hurricane Kirk. If Hurricane Kirk hits the Florida coast, and there's all kinds of things that happen, and you have satellites measuring the wind speed and all the things that happen in, as a consequence of Hurricane Kirk. Well, Hurricane Kirk is now gone. Once it's passed, you can't rewind planet Earth. You can't rewind the time machine and go back. Let's. We'll look at that again no it's gone so uh same way with astronomy when events happen in the sky we can't say hey universe can you just back up so we can watch that again and so so we store all that data because you never know when something might be useful i mean there's literally data that are hundreds if not thousands of years old that astronomers have used to solve some problems today they've gone back and looked and said oh my gosh look at that we had that we had this observation actually there's an example of a, some observation uh, by the Harvard College Observatory in the early 1900s, I and mean, we're talking 120 years ago, okay. where they actually had in an image, they didn't, even though they didn't recognize it at the time, they had in an image uh, the appearance of an asteroid uh, <laughs> whose name is Apophis. And if anybody knows anything about Stargate, Apophis is not a good person. But anyway, it's named Apophis. And this 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 asteroid was discovered, or, or, I mean, really discovered. It was already on some plates, but it was discovered in the early 2000s. And when people measured its orbit, they determined that it was going to impact Earth uh, in the year uh, 2028. Okay, so that's seven years from now. Okay, so if it was big enough, it could wipe out civilization. Okay, asteroids wiped out the dinosaurs. Maybe it's humans' turn, right? And so for an entire week, there was like this enormous <laughs> panic in the media. There was all these stories about asteroid hitting Earth in 2028. Uh, it's got, who knows what's going to happen? Are we going to be wiped out as a civilization? All of the Earth. And, Anyway, so then about a week later, someone actually discovered that this asteroid was actually detected on these Harvard College Observatory photographs from over 100 years ago. And they were able to do, to do a much more accurate trajectory on the orbit because they had this 100-year baseline and, and determined that it was going to miss Earth in 2020. And so the news just went completely silent on it because it was no longer interesting. But what they missed was the, the second paragraph in that, in that scientist article. He said it was, it's going to miss Earth in 2028, but it's going to come close and probably hit earth in the year 2036. Well, no one, no one oh. even bothered to talk about that. Cause they, just, oh. but, as, but as it, but as it turned out more data, again, the importance of keeping some data, more data was c collected from other places over time. They found more and more data points in the trajectory and said, Oh yeah, it's actually not going to hit earth in 2036, maybe about four or 500 years from now. So anyway, so why am I telling you this long astronomy story? Well, the point is, is that because getting a long baseline on something like that, like a customer behavior or a health trajectory, okay, a patient's health trajectory, a cyber actor's trajectory, uh, you know, any kind of a customer, a consumer, health, a cyber, anything that's sort of a dynamic actor in the modern world, even the trajectory of a machine performance, an engine performance to produce predictive or prescriptive maintenance, you need that long trajectory. You need to have those long baseline of points to see where it's going and what the outcomes are going to be. So there will be cases where we're going to have to keep stuff in a more permanent storage environment 
just and and again, but some of those data points are, are going to be immediately important at the edge, but others will be important for the long term predictions that we need to make to know what's going to good or bad is going to happen to us. I always I always refer to it as the killer asteroid moment in a business, right? <laughs> the killer asteroid. So I give the astronomy yeah. analogy, then I said the killer asteroid moment might be the customer who churns, right? The customer who has an abandoned shopping cart. In healthcare, it might be the patient who's who turns for the worse. Okay. So you, what can you do to deflect that asteroid from its negative trajectory to a better outcome, whether it's a hospital patient or a cyber actor or a consumer on your e-commerce store or whatever. So how can you avoid that killer asteroid moment in your business? You need that long-term collection of data to determine, you know, what, you know, where is it going, but not only where it's going, but the prescriptive aspect of it, what are the causal variables that this or treatments that this thing can respond to that I can move it to a different trajectory. And that's prescriptive analytics. And you, and you learn that from, from all your data that says, if I adjust this or tweak that, or I give it this prescription, like we say in medicine, it'll achieve a better and different outcome. That was well, such I'm, a good answer. And you know, I'm always going to have a neural connection now <laughs> to Hurricane Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> and asteroids. I am actually uh, glad that we're going to get our edge computing strategy done before an asteroid hits us, because that would have been quite sad if we were still working on it and we got wiped out. So, well, thank you so much for your insights, Kirk. We always love to hear what you've been doing in the data landscape and how you're viewing it. It's always very insightful. And we look forward to having you back on the podcast soon. Well, thank you very much. It was great to be here. And I think you just experienced Hurricane Kirk because <laughs> you give me a short question, I'll give you a torrential downpour of answers. Oh, so we love it. We love it. Hurricane Kirk, you heard it here first, folks, and you're going to hear it again soon. I'm going to do a hashtag on Twitter. <laughs> Hurricane Kirk. I love it. I love it. Let's do that. <laughs> This has been Elevate the Edge, Maribel, Joe, and Kirk. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe so you can easily find us again. Follow us on Twitter at Maribel Lopez and at Digital Cloud Gal, and on LinkedIn. Links to our social profiles, show notes, and ways to listen to the podcast can be found at elevatetheedge.com. <laughs>